Today we are talking with Paul Romero, who, aside from being a badass human, has, as you will hear, a very impressive resume in the ultra-endurance race world, and I would label him an expert in the world of performance training and sports nutrition. We were lucky enough to pin him down for a short conversation about just those things. He is so energetic and passionate about everything he does. We are so grateful he took some time to share his thoughts and stories with us. Any type of athlete should be able to take home something from our chat with him. Have a great day, and please enjoy. All right. Uh, Good morning, and welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. My name is Will Rich. And I am being joined by my tag team partner, Patrick Brummel. And our guest today is Paul Romero. He's a very accomplished adventure racer and ultra marathoner. He's climbed the seven summits. Uh, He's been named athlete of the year multiple times in different disciplines. He's no stranger to pain. (laughs) Uh, He's the owner and head coach of McKenna CrossFit here on Maui. And uh, so welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast, Paul. Ooh, that was sounds awesome. I'm flattered. Thank you. This is really exciting, Will. You guys are kicking ass doing something very cool. I'm honored. Let's rock this. Thank you. Yeah, so um, why don't why don't we start by just getting a little bit of your background and some of your accomplishments? This is a chance for you to brag a little bit <laughs> um, because just kind of – Knowing you personally and going through, um, going on the internet, you can you can see kind of some of the things you've done. But um, just just talk about some highlights. For okay. Us. Well, when I was three, <laughs> then when I was four, uh, there's the, the, here's the funny part. I will say um, myself and my two brothers were longtime BMX uh, pioneers. We were in on the sport when it first started, and myself. I was in the middle of three brothers. We were either state, national, or world champion, one of us, for about 10 or 11 years in Phoenix, Arizona, which is arguably the birthplace of BMX racing. That was exciting. My father was a phenomenal coach, and I remember in the 115-degree heat of Phoenix, Arizona, running sprints in the heat of summer with him and his clipboard and his stopwatch at the age of huh. um, So that's when pe- you know, people ask you what's your earliest memories in life. People always got, I was in a crib or I was in a tricycle or I was at the park. With my, I remember in blazing, scorching heat running wind sprints with my father. That's my earliest memory. <laughs> so BMX was there, went on to be a quarterback at the ripe age of eight or nine. I was pitching by <laughs> 10 or 11. I was starting high school um, center at um, freshman year in high school. Uh, we stopped racing BMX somewhere along in there. Uh, picked up beach volleyball in high school. Myself and my brother were a tag team, were a, a duo that was that were competitive in Arizona and dabbled over in California a bit. Where I eventually moved to California just after high school, started sailing. I did a bunch of open ocean blue blue water sailing. Lived in the Caribbean, crossed the Atlantic, lived in Europe, racing, um, racing and sailing. Got back on the bike, started racing bikes full time. I became a paramedic. I took a uh, ski patrol where I was the first ever snow, uh, ski patroller on snowboarding. That was a that was one of my nine lives and uh, went on to be competitive in snowboarding and was uh, in on the birth of border cross. Remember that crazy sport? Oh, yeah. So I was in on the birth of that sport and was loving that. So it was competitive snowboarder. And then the summer was racing mountain bikes. 
And so taking my BMX career into mountain biking was a natural, but then it turned out I had this knack for doing long distance. And I never did distance as a kid, uh, football, all the ball sports and BMX, nothing was ever more than a, you know, a 10 second effort. And lo and behold, I could ride a bike forever and do decent. Got teased into doing my first ever adventure race in my early 20s with uh, with a couple of gals. And we smashed this race out in California, this little bitty uh, high-tech adventure race. We did great. Next thing you know, we did another one. And we did another one. And then found out I was damn good at kind of kayaking and running and biking. Fast forward, next thing you know, we're doing eco-challenges, doing expedition racing, winning we were a, we were a we were a team that could win the short distance ones, these three to five hour adventure races, and then we were winning and doing well at these expedition races, these five, seven, eight day nonstop adventure races. Somewhere in there, I had a kid. A kid decided to climb Mount Everest and climb the seven summits. So we did a whole world tour of climbing the seven summits of the world, and then some uh, that was successful and fun. And then I got into ultra marathoning, where in my 40s I found out I could get faster and better and stronger into my forties. And then I was really competitive in, in ultras and, and spe- uh, what do you call it? specializing in the 200 miles. So I did better the longer and harder these races where even though I was 200 pounds, I was always the heaviest guy at the starting line, my 50 pounds. And I would do well in these 200s. CrossFit came along. Lo and behold, I was decent at CrossFit. Uh, here in masters in 50 plus and uh, competitive at 50 plus uh, in, in the CrossFit arena. And I love coaching and teaching all of everything I just talked about, body movement, you know, kinesiology and uh, food and nutrition came along through all of that whole ride. So just this ball of wax of of, um, of knowledge that I love to dispel and share onto others that, that you've discovered that we have in common. So that was a mouthful, I think, but that, yeah. that was a, that was my ride. So the first uh-huh. – enjoyed the ride. <laughs> so I, I met you, I think, in – 2016 and then uh didn't really interact with you too much and then uh in 2018 right before uh patrick and i were going to go do the yukon 1000 i remember i was running by mckenna crossfit and you were standing right in the doorway and i ran by did a u-turn came right back and said hey i'm going to do this race and I remember that. I'd love to pick your brain about nutrition advice. And so that was kind of where um, our relationship, it went to the next level. Um, I remember that. That was and, awesome. And uh, so talk to us a little bit about nutrition and planning for, for long distance stuff um, as, in terms of sure. like leading up to an event and then during an event and then after an event. Sure. Um, you know, I'll start by saying I did 13 years of um, 15 years of emergency medicine. I was critical care life flight paramedic. What's that have to do with it? Well, I would dealt with death and dying people for years, and I was in ICU, CCUs, neuro. We dealt with dealt with all the critically ill people, and, and I was also coaching and working with elite athletes. And so the, the whole gambit, right? Death and dying, and then the world's best athletes out, and everything in between. Why was that important? Well, I learned how the body operated. I learned what made it die early, and I also could see what was making it perform at the most optimum level of, in, in, you know, the human race has ever known the scene. 
So I just would study it and I'd see what people were doing right and wrong. I just became a student of what was happening around me all the time. And just, I was home taught, self-taught. I mean, I had a lot of science and, 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 and biology teachings and so on, but that doesn't teach you to formulate and prepare for racing. And I began being bold and just experimenting with myself and being on the forefront of what was happening in sports nutrition world some 20 years ago. Uh, and with that, you just learned, I just learned the very importance of, of electrolyte management, of hydration, of which foods an athlete should have at long, slow distance versus, you know, a 5K or a 10K. I just studied everything that was being published. I was lucky to be in the uh, kind of the kind of the re uh, the rebirth or at least the real blossoming of uh, of proper sports nutrition. My dad, to go back to my dad in the early days, he was decades ahead of himself. He was feeding me and my brothers giant spoonful of dark, dark local honey. It was high dose vitamin C. Um, uh, and the list would go on about things that he was doing then that nobody was talking about for another 20 years. So I had a little head start there with some basics. So through all this studying of, 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 of watching bodies and humans race and, and also in my other life of, of, of being a paramedic, you just saw what 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 common what came to me is be to be common sense what what the human body had to do whether it was thriving through a work week or whether it was preparing for a, for an ultra marathon or or you know big canoe race like you guys do or whatever it was it was hydration it was electrolyte management it was proper fueling combine that with sleep you know I mean we, in the topic of food nutrition I'll, I'll keep it focused there it was it was apparent that there was just a there was a triad I I, I remember Steve um, Steve Bourne from uh, from Hammer Nutrition, who uh, we we kind of I, I found this triad this triad that he that he built and and it was just so happened that I had kind of lectured and I created a triangle myself here and it was about hydration electrolytes and fuel and he had published the same thing it was like we were on this same wavelength when we published the same uh, theory on on how to fuel and manage an athlete and with that I could teach anybody on, on what level on any distance of, of event and competition on how to manage these three corners of, of the of the triad and once you understood that anybody can anybody can understand a triangle and once you saw that on, on, on a simple whiteboard it just power just resonated what I just need to take electrolytes every hour and maybe load up on them for a day or two ahead of time and I just need to have how much water clear water an hour and I need to have how much fuel basic how much carbohydrates versus protein and fat depending on how long ago Shit, if I just do – you just do that, I'll survive and do well in a race? Yeah. You know, and and from that, you can go much deeper, and we, we will, I'm sure. But uh, it was a joy to discover this triad and, and teaching that where a third grader would understand it. But meanwhile, one one corner of that triangle, if it's out and you don't manage it, it's you're screwed. You're you're the guy on the side of the, on the, side of the river cramping and puking or on your bike on the side of the trail just – holding your hamstrings, can't move your cranks anymore. And it was just this simple triad that was a recipe to success. So is, is there a big difference between uh, fueling and hydrating for a three-hour race compared to a three-day race? Or is it just um, repeating the cycle over and over throughout that three days? Yeah, um, three-hour versus three-day, certainly. 
there is and there isn't. This triad, I'll, I'll, I just have a, my, my, my clipboard here, and I just wrote this triangle here, but I'll just, I'll just kind of underscore it 100 times here as I talk about it. These three, these three triads, these three corners of the triangle can't be ignored, whether it's that three-hour, which is what? It's a half marathon or a marathon for, for some fast people, right? Uh, or if it's that three-day race, this, this all means the same. Now, where it differs is, is, um, is, uh, is probably that fuel, right? The, the hydration corner is, 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 you know, five to seven, five to seven fifty mLs, whether you're a lady or an average size guy per hour of clear water. That just stands true. Whether you're, 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 you're cranking out a half marathon, uh, at, at, at breakneck speed or whether you're grinding out, um, a 72 hour paddle race, that number pretty much stands by. Now that's also subjective to heat climate. If you're in you're in Texas in July. That's one thing versus Seattle in January. It's just right. a little variable there. The electrolyte management, boy, that's a pretty steadfast there. You know, the, the one number to remember is that 200 milligrams of sodium per hour. Whether you're whether you're uh, uh, doing half marathon pace or whether you're grinding out a nice slow canoe or mountain bike uh, uh, ultra marathon. Uh, these the whole spectrum of, of electrolytes needs to be discussed and going deeper, but that 200 megs of sodium is a steadfast, you know, bedrock number the member. And then the fueling, certainly it changes there, right? Anything, uh, generally that, that three hour mark is where you can discuss that's a pure glycolytic event in my opinion, right? It's a pure carbohydrate, uh, demand, demanding event. Longer than that, you're obviously moving slower. So there's GI motility, there's gastrointestinal, uh, functionality and circulation and, and the ability to absorb other nutrients, which then is when you enter your protein and fat into once you've slowed down your heart rate and now three hours to a 10 hour race or a 12 hour, 24 hour, obviously you're moving slower, your heart rate's lower and you're able to digest more complex foods and more protein and fat to, uh, to, to, to manage muscle repair while you're moving. Right. And, 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 uh, fat assimilation, Got kind of deep pretty quick here, but but certainly there is a difference from three to three hours to three days, and it mainly resides in that corner of, of the fuel, in, in in my opinion, that the hydration and that and that sodium and that and that electrolyte management is pretty steadfast. Is the um, is the energy management consistent too? If you were to look at say a graph of when you began the eventual climb to your maintained heart rate, and then maybe a little spike at the finish, is it? And is it just stretched out over a longer period of time? Or is it like, you know, if you were doing a marathon, would you just kind of go at a one, you know, say 70% effort for the whole thing? And then on a three-day event, you would knock it down to, say, 50%, 60% for most of it? Or are you at a point in your fitness or do you think people can maintain a certain max level of, of energy over the course of these events? You should be able to maintain – now, this takes a lot of a lot of – a lot of trial and error, um, but it is surprising. I'll kind of answer this. Maybe not. It's not going to sound like a real direct answer, but it is so published and so understood now that we, you can, you can survive and you can function with much less than we ever thought needed. Once we become fat adapted, especially um, the number of calories needed and how much food we thought we needed. Uh, I think the experts would agree that most experts would agree that we can, that less is more. Um, we have so much fat in our body. Um, 
you know, I'm kind of thinking about the longer distance athlete right now. For sure, we have so much fat in our body that once we understand that we can to fat adapt and 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 to tap into that that keeping the brain functioning with some carbohydrates, but being able to fat adapt and be dual fueled is kind of the kind of the goal, and that takes some adaptation and some trial and error. So, um, you know, to talk about that 5K or that that half marathon speed or that or that you know. 20 mile paddle or that channel crossing. Uh, I'm a big believer in, 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 in the fasting uh, prior to an event where it is an explosive out the, out the start um, kind of effort. Again, back to that short distance, huge, high, huge energy output type of event. I wasn't a believer in that, but back to Steve Bourne, he's the legend from Hammer Nutrition, man. He, he talked me into it about, about 15 years ago, man. I was at the starting line of the hardest Ironman course in the world, Lake Mead, Southern Nevada. And uh, the day before, I'm talking to Steve Bourne, who was kind of mentoring me with nutrition. And he goes, bro, if you haven't fasted before an event, you've got to. you just got to. And, really? and I was, I'm the guy that's up early and, and, and eating and drinking and fueling up. But there I was fasting from the night before and went to 12-hour, 10-hour fast, I think I did. And I'm standing at the starting line of, 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 of two-plus mile swim, nervous as hell, hadn't eaten. And... Um, the, the, the protocol was have half a hammer gel right, right at the start line. And long story short, had a phenomenal race. I remember wow. going almost two hours without, without touching or needing fuel. It's having my liquid and, and electrolytes for sure. But um, starting, you know, when we wake up, our, our, our insulin levels and our blood sugar levels are extremely balanced in very, very, main, very ideal levels. And it is when you're super balance with your insulin and blood sugar levels that if you demand immediately uh, a lot of energy output in this case was was a swim with a thousand other thousand other nuts in, in, in lake um the, the 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 demand to bring glycogen to your muscles is, is clear and fast and you're not digesting anything of course so uh there i was through a through a through a hour 10 minute swim onto the bike which was the hardest bike course in the iron man world etc cetera, etc cetera. and i remember just being 90 minutes into this bike going oh my god i feel just out of this wow. world and crushing hills and just <laughs> passing the 300 guys that killed me on the swim. Um, uh, and then finally, as, as prescribed, started bringing in the fuel then and using the perpetuum, uh, trickling in the perpetuum uh, from, from hammer nutrition, which I was a big fan of, still am. Um, and at the right dose, not too much, but concentrated, the, the fuel concentrated and the high dose of clear water or the high proportion of clear water separate the fuel and the water separate and i remember in it was hot as hell i mean 100 95 degrees which is which is hot when we've all been in hotter net but and i remember just killing that bike like like nobody's business and jumped off and ran a great marathon all of it on 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 high dose electrolytes hammer gels and the hammer perpetuum um, at the time no cramps great performance great marathon and the fasting and that start was just a great boost to it. It was a great start to it all, um, especially in swimming. Starting off in Ironmans, especially, you're, you know, that fueling is off where you've had too much food in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anything that's off with your GI in a swim is an absolute nightmare. Wow. Um, anyways, there's a little, no, uh, that's a little war yeah. story from Ironman, but also tied into the fasting yeah. and the fueling. As, as far as the fat adaption uh, goes, the – you know, there's the whole Phil Maffetone, the, sim- the most simplistic, the, the MAF number, 
you know, 180 minus your age, is that still accurate now? Or is it is it as cut and dry and easy as that? Or is it a little more complex and, and person to person based? I think it's person to person based. I have not prescribed that too much myself. Yeah. Um, I, I, I to go down the whole keto conversation um, is a little off my specialty right now. I was deep into it when it when it when it came on. And I studied, I think, everything that there was printed on it. Um, I got on on board with uh, with um, shit. What was the what was the company that was was uh, I think they were the first to make the exogenous ketones. And um, I tell you what, first of all, I enjoy food. So so intermittent fasting and going keto is just something I'm not um, I'm not into right now. I've seen it work a lot. I've seen a lot of athletes do great with it. I've seen weight loss happen. I've seen some 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 people change their lives because of going going keto and, and, and fasting. So. I think there's some credibility to it. Of course, there is. There's a ton of science. But here's what I did with with um, a couple of six months. I was I was doing I was going keto and I was in, in fasting, and I was working with. Uh, I feel embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the company that was making the exogenous ketones. Do you guys remember that company? No. Uh, it was a powdered product. Uh, anyways, I was um, in the world of ultra marathon. There's the survival runs. Have you heard of the survival no. runs? No. No. So, kind of got the hundreds you got the 200s and then i think you got the next level which was the survival runs and there's only a handful of them done in the world there's there's in nicaragua uh and in canada uh there was these they're 36 hour self-supported jungle survival runs that uh, are ultra marathons that have strength challenges throughout the course about every 10 miles you come into uh, a station they're all surprised where you handed an axe and a massive tree and you've got a follow tree and then split it and then and drag something for a couple miles and then move on. And in this case, um, I came to a station where they, I was handed a rooster and I was, it, it, all these tasks are related to the local culture. And I was racing on an island in Nicaragua with this, uh, this survival run. And I was handed a rooster and <laughs> had to run like 10 K with a rooster in the middle of the night in the jungle. And this rooster was trying to kill me. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in a race. You'd carry a pissed off rooster in the middle of the night in the jungle it's equatorial heat. It was, it was a nightmare. And then open ocean swims at night with no life vest, no light, nothing. Just really crazy. They try to kill the athletes in, this, in these races. Um, I, the last one I was at in Nicaragua, I think it was 80. And it, this is invitational pretty much. You got to qualify to these events. They get, they take the top Spartan type athletes and the top ultra marathoners and only selected those get to go. Yeah. I was going to say, how do you, how do you qualify for, you, you got to apply. These they, don't let, they don't let just anybody <laughs> into these. Um, and you know, the, 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 the ones that I've done, there's pretty much 80 guys and ladies at the starting line. And there's usually one or two or three finishers. The last one I did, I was the only finisher <laughs> to give you an idea with wow. these silly race point was that um i had a great success with with doing keto in this race i had in the days leading up to had gone strict keto uh even traveling and 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 getting to this event i stuck with it and there was the starting line fasting going up in my pack had very few calories on me i had a small packets of core from proven nutrition i had some gels from beeline uh it's a fantastic gel and then i had these packets of these ketones and these ketones go in water and they are exogenous ketones that by ingesting them, by taking them in, they, they throw you into ketosis and keep you fat adapted while you have carbohydrates uh, to, to, to be dual fueled, as you call it, you know. So my story was that, um, that 
I what, did this. I did this race in racing 36 hours, and I think I did the math on how many calories I ate, and it would. I want to say I did like I barely ate like 2,000 calories. Really? Like thir- in like like 30 hours, and then I had several packets of these ketones. My energy was in- absolutely incredible. It was it was nuts. I, I went wow. on a witness race and ran nonstop for 36 hours in in you know in equatorial heat. Um, and it was a huge win for that, for that concept and that, and that, and that, and that approach. Wow. Sorry. Well, you were gonna yeah. Ask. So, so when you say you're, you're fueling, you're dual fueling, um, you know, you're getting your fats or your body's feeding off the fat for energy. And then what kind of carbohydrates are you ingesting, uh, for fuel for your brain? Um, again, I'm a huge fan of the proven nutrition and the core product, which I had, a handful of these packets. And again, I think they're hundred calories each and, uh, they were a great source of electrolytes and, uh, and some performance amino acids. And then I had beeline, which is a, so a, just like a simple sugar mm-hmm. type solution, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. A, a honey based or an agave based or, or something very simple that your body can break down. Chia, so. honey, pomegranate, maple syrup type of formula that, uh, yeah, you, you got Patrick and I set up on that same program basically uh, for for the Yukon race. We had a handful of the beeline packets, and then uh, we weren't really taking the proven um, during the race, um, more so after each day as part of our recovery um, plan. But uh, the the beeline is a great product. It's super super natural, um, like you're saying. It's it's the honey, the maple syrup, uh, agave mixed with chia seed and um, other, other, other all natural products. So I, that's, I just wanted to kind of, um, get an idea of what exactly you're using for that. So effective that combined with, with very high dose electrolytes, um, depending on what race I'm either fully into salt stick, Jonathan Toker salt stick product, mm-hmm. um, meta salts from, um, Oh my gosh, why is my mind skipping meta salts? Who makes meta salts? Um, Oh, I'm embarrassed on that. Metasalts is another incredible product. I can Google uh, it. We need. Um, they're a huge name. And uh, uh, anyways, those two electrolyte products, I believe I was taking interchangeably. Uh, the metasalts has a little bit of ginger in it, and which is great for GI. And they just had slightly different ratios of electrolytes. But, um, think, you know, three to five tabs an hour, every hour without fail. And that's just the absolute game changer. If every athlete, air endurance athlete out there would just, if they took nothing else from this, this discussion from us, God, we just spend, you know, 20 bucks on a bottle of electrolytes. And in a race, you spend about a dollar. If you took three or five capsules every hour, you'd put, you'd put your entire investment of your time and energy to good use. And your, your, your odds of having other disruptions are so much lower once your electrolytes are managed. And the, you know, I've been a part of the the, the guys from um, from uh, from Australia, who um, from uh, uh, Precision Nutrition, it's closely commonly confused with Proven Nutrition. Precision Nutrition are the guys that did um, uh, they did research on electrolytes, and they created a device that would test your specific sodium loss. Everybody's electrolyte loss is different. It's a, apparently a genetic or a random, 
um, um, value that we all have. And without knowing that and testing that, you're kind of shooting in the dark as to how many electrolytes you should be taking an hour. Everybody's different. You all have seen people covered in salt and you've seen some people that never touch electrolytes and they're winning ultras and shit like that. You know, some people are, everybody's different, it turns out. So I was a part of these guys, um, product development when they made these 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 devices that took a took a, uh, a, a pin prick to your finger uh tested out tested the blood spun it and it just helped you understood how much sodium you should be having so that helped me understand how much electrolyte sodium i should be taking every hour plus the big in- discovery in the last five years of electrolyte you know approach is the preloading the 24 to 36 hours of of like every three hour preloading of electrolytes they found was very beneficial to an endurance athlete to have your body swimming and soaked in all electrolytes uh, took took takes many 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 doses prior to an event and we didn't catch that for years right we just okay here's race day take my first electrolytes the breakfast you know you know and let's, let's get and have, have them ready to go on the race well Chances are your travel, your stress before race, your pack and all that shit before the day or two before races can be exhausting and taxing, right? And maybe you're living a little sub subpar on your electrolytes levels and it doesn't just happen with one dose or two. So um, that was a big win. That's something I'm, I'm a huge advocate of now. So that preloading 24 to 36 hours, they might even go 48 hours for latest research. I'm not sure. Right up to race day and then just knowing your specific sodium loss is was is important to know some people just need 200 400 an hour some people need 600 or more an hour and so these guys at precision nutrition would formulate specific effervescent capsules like noon style that uh were specific to you and your in your and your so your your electrolyte loss really good product and they were delicious and uh you know kind of like noon yeah pop and fizz and as um, far as the intensity zone like is that a fixed thing as well for keeping your body like if you're going three days or 36 hours what is your where do you want to keep your heart in that to keep at that fat burning well or is that a case the case thing too that's a case the case thing certainly um uh that energy output and that and that heart rate zone is 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 completely variable right i mean you guys are tall strapping athletes um as well and, and we're, we're i think we're all six two how tall are you pat six two six we're all six two i'm 200 you're 200 yeah, yeah. we should be ideal uh you know but we all have um different heart rate zones and so to put a blanket answer to that is is, is not fair right i've got yeah. five foot three uh gals um uh, you know weighing 102 pounds that uh, might have you know at at 24 years old might have it's very age dependent of course mm-hmm. we know that um uh climate dependent there's i would hate to i would hate to give some kind of answer to that i think yeah. I, I think i would i would be misleading and uh do you have a specific zone yourself or is it just are you so attuned to it that it's just perception now it's perception i haven't touched i gotta be honest i haven't touched our monitor in so nice. long and nice. you you i think you i think and you guys are probably the same. We've become so tuned in with it uh, over the years. And God, I would love to someday sit and track how many thousands of hours we have raced. And you guys are probably the same. It's no. been, in, you know, especially going, you know, these 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 multi multi day and just 
being a student of your own body and just understanding and, and, and managing it is such an awesome art and it's so fun. So to your point is, is, and I especially got into running the 200s where I just got to where I would just constantly play and tweak with it. I'd have my vest loaded with my, my performance aminos, my, my, uh, my adaptogens, electrolytes, did a couple different fuels. And I remember I've been off the circuit a little bit, which I hope to be back on this year. I remember just, just playing with loads every hour, different electrolyte loads, adaptogens loads, citrulline, the core, um, uh, beta alanine, this, this, this six hour set or not. And just playing with how sensitive I was to these different formulas and different complex and different, uh, yeah, different formulas, different stacks, I guess you could say. And everybody's different, uh, you know, but when you get to that sweet spot, man, I think you guys have had it too, right? And you get to that, everything's figured, you got everything just right. You're peeing just right. The color of your pee is just right. The heart rate <laughs> zone's right. Your breath is on point. Your flow, you guys, your stroke is on point. The glide is on. The blend is on. Is there anything better than that, right? No, it, could, it could be at 2 a.m. in the middle of BFE. But when you get that, when you get that blend on and that heart rate's on point and the lights are on and you're feeling good, God, that's no, for me. That, that's the moment I live for. And you're in that flow state. Flow state. Wow. Um, you mentioned you used to do a keto diet. I know just from being around you more recently, you're more plant based, correct? <laughs> plant based, indeed. And so I was not. I was not plant based when I was uh, when I was doing keto. So talk to us a little bit about being a plant-based athlete and how that has changed your performance. Um, we, we, we talked with, uh, world standup champion, standup paddleboard champion Seychelles, and she's a completely plant-based athlete. Sweet. And, um, so she talked to us a little bit about it, but I just want to hear from your point of view, how it's, uh, basically changed the way, you train, how you perform, your life overall. Whew. It's kind of a big question. No, so. it's, it, 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 <laughs> I'm just, I get so emotional about it. I get so excited about it. I just don't, I'm just don't know where to start. It, it, God, I wish everybody would. I just, I was a holdout for a long time, man. I was teaching and preaching and screaming paleo, man. I was the CrossFit paleo guy, man. I gave lectures. I filled up more whiteboards and. I could tell you about and lectured to kids and schools and CrossFit gyms and athletes and teams on paleo, man. And it, and it just worked. The science was there and it worked. And I was all, I was your bacon and, and grilled chicken and, and, uh, and 40, 30, 30 guy, man, and do it, um, do it right. Um, paleo wise and, and you'll get results. And, it, you know, it did work. It did work. Was it optimum? And was there other levels there? There were, there was, I didn't discover it till later, but I remember just poo-pooing the vegans and the, and, and the vegetarians that, that said they were doing it and said it could be done. But you also saw a lot of people that couldn't figure it out, couldn't do it. And, and, and I remember clearly 20, 15 years ago, nine out of 10 vegans couldn't get their shit straight at all. This wasn't there was there's definitely some that could you can talk about Jarek and others and that were had it figured out. But for the most part, many couldn't vegan, vegetarian, mate, a skinny, scrawny dude or chick. It just and, did. And you are not that. <laughs> I'm not that now. No. <laughs> um, so, OK, so it's been three years now since I, I made that commitment. And so what's the, the direct answer to you was 
that I'm still making gains and faster and stronger than I've ever been in my life at 50. Um, the biggest benefit, if I could put it in one word, it's recovery. And when I started going plant-based, I went about six weeks and go, damn, I'm, I'm feeling really good. And I remember putting myself through a 21 day challenge. I did 21 days of CrossFit, sometimes two a days. And we're talking very tough, rigorous workouts. And for the CrossFitters out there, and, and you guys know, um, to do three, four, five days in a row of legit real CrossFit workouts, you've got to have a day off or two. Um, your body will not recover. You have immense pain and, and, and discomfort and aches and, and lead yourself to injuries. And I remember putting myself through a test of like hard ass workouts, eating absolutely on point, plant based and getting no freaking soreness, no soreness, no aches, no pains. And it was astounding to me. Um, could I have taken days off and might have been a little better? Yeah. I mean, it was just a study of like, could I survive and do this? Um, and I, I, I did. And why is it the inflammation, of course, well known is, is, is the is what's happening there it was the lack of inflammation and the lack of swelling, the lack of, of, um, of that harmful inflammation doesn't happen so much when you're plant-based. And there it was, man. I remember like it was yesterday when I did that. And so it continues now. Still, I have phenomenal recovery. I think it's one of the things that helps me excel at this point still with training as much as we're doing, especially now during, during the big lockdown that we're in right now, I'm training really hard and it just nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. <laughs> And it's, it helps with my digestion and my recovery. And, uh, I'm still at fighting weight, 200 pounds. And I don't know. There's you. So I, I think the big, the big question that everyone immediately says when, uh, you tell them that you're a plant-based athlete is what do you do for protein? <laughs> and, you know, cause protein is, is the building block of muscle and, yeah. um, so <laughs> what is what is your response to it's, that question? It's now I first giggle like everybody else does, and then you know it, it. I get it from the plants. I get it from I get it from the the vegetables and the plants. I eat. I'm, it's incredibly simple diet. I have it's nothing magical. I have my big chia every day. A big big bowl of of my chia mix overnight overnight uh, coaching coaching breakfast like coaches breakfast I call it. Right over there. <laughs> right over here. And uh, uh, I do about one big plant-based smoothie a day, just a big blender full of just the usual, almond milk, banana, peanut butter, organ, really basic. Every day I'm pretty boring like that. Um, I'll crank out your big chia. Last night was a, was a tempeh, quinoa, grilled veggie with some hummus and some chips. Really boring. I think I've had that three times in the last week. And when it's said and done, I get about 3,000 calories, 3,500 a day right now. Nothing massive. I mean, it's decent, but um, it's not particularly exciting. There's spinach at lunch there with my with my salad at lunch. Um, it's just not it's not that freaking hard, man. It's not you and I. I, mean, I know you asked setting me up for an answer question here to answer to, but God, it's so astounding, man. To that 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 question. I was that guy too. I was asking that question too, man. But lo and behold. You know, mix it up the next day with a lot of sweet potatoes um, um, and just the vegetable assortment. It's got to be really high, of course. And uh, that plant-based smoothie helps out a lot, right? There's a quick five, eight, nine hundred calories a day, depending on how, how big you make that smoothie. But that's that's the help from getting an athlete, I guess, to go from, yeah, just getting enough to like, bam, definitely get enough, definitely getting that recovery yeah, and that, calories. Yeah, that protein that you, that you use, you can pack 
30, 40, 50 grams of protein in that smoothie yeah. if you want. Exactly. So, huh. You know, um, I'm, I'm along the same lines as you. Um, I'm not entirely plant-based. I, I sneak in a slice of bacon or two every now and then, mm. and, uh, some local, local venison. No harm in that, and, man. Um, it looks like it's working fine for you and shit. Yeah. And that's, I think it's all a matter of finding what works for you. But you know, once I, like you, once I made a more concerted effort towards being plant-based, you start noticing things like being fatigued more often and oh. being sore more often and you know, the list goes on. So once you, once you can see those things and it's easy to, to make that switch to having a, a consistent boring diet of just plants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, yeah, it's not that boring, but I just got it. The only regret is that I wish I discovered it 20 years earlier. I wish I'd listened to, the the plant the plant based athletes out there that had you know had plenty of people that challenged me and, and called me on it and told me to try it and I was just too cool to try it man I, I remember hanging out with Scott Jerick he hung out my oh, up Big Bear when I used to live in California and and uh, he's running the PCT and we hung out a bit and I saw him doing it and I'm just like now granted he's quite skinny man I, and and uh, <laughs> and uh, he's pretty lean but he's just all about running you know I think an athlete needs to be prepared to reach down and pick up something 250 pounds and and run with it or move with it or at least move something i think we need to be a little more of a warrior type of athlete so i maintain that i had to have meat to have to have that muscle that i think all three of us here have as well but turns out i was wrong um big time i love i'm very passionate about it i think the game changers was one of the best movies ever put out that helped a lot of change a lot of people's lives and um i helped uh assist with a public viewing of it and did a, did a, uh, was a, on the expert panel to speak to community about that. And it was one of the most rewarding things I've done was to help out with that and turn the youth. I coach the high school kids here in Maui and I think I'm at a 90% rate of helping these athletes go plant-based by purely showing them what, how the benefits of it. And, uh, I don't indoctrinate them. I don't hammer it hard with it, but they just felt it was a cool thing to do now. Absolutely. It, it was a cool thing to do. And, and what you save 30, 40, 30% on your, on your food budget, by the way, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was easily, uh, I remember doing, when I first did, I did it whole Excel sheet and everything, man. And I saved 30% on my food. Yeah. That's pretty important, especially, yeah. especially with what's happening right now. Yeah. Being a single businessman and, uh, and saving 30% on the course of a year on your food. I, I can't even imagine what meat costs on Maui either. I'm on Nantucket and it's like, man, it's crazy out here. Yeah, we have a, a couple cattle farms, um, but for the most part, it's it can add considerably to your yeah. your food bill. Um, do, you, do you include eggs in your plant base? Do you do eggs or no eggs? Funny you should mention it. I went the last year and a half or so with eggs, and turns out my neighbor has got free-range eggs, and my girlfriend went and got some the other day, and I enjoyed my first omelet in a long time. Wow. Have no problem with it. Uh, of course, I, I don't have a. Uh, it would just sort of fell off my program. Just mm -hmm. it just. Uh, I'm not home on mornings. I leave the door at 4 a.m. and I'm at the gym almost. So my lazy mornings of making omelets and so like that are, are no longer. But um, so it, it's. I've had a couple eggs lately. Yeah. I love eggs. Yeah, they're good. The neighbor just got a little. They put a little hen house down, two doors down. The rooster every day is. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
just kind of changing gears slightly, not not a lot, but uh, when did you start doing CrossFit? I started doing CrossFit when I was about 42, eight years ago. Southern California, all my mountain bike, no, not all my, a few of my mountain bike partners and buddies were all about it. And I remember seeing the Facebook posts and I remember just all the chat about it. And at the time you just felt it was really douchey, man. These guys, all the, the cult about it and the, and the, the lingo and the, the, the bond these guys all had, it just seemed gym-like and it just seemed douchey. It really did. Like the crew I was with thought it was as well. And we we're just endurance, either outdoor crushing it or you're in the gym doing gym life. And, and then there's either, you're either in two worlds, you're, you're in the one world or the other. I was really mistaken. This one of these fellas was a mountain bike racer and 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 CrossFit coach, as it turned out, and he opened my eyes up to it in Southern California in Newport Beach. And I visited him once at the gym and saw what was going on and had just had a brief conversation about it. Didn't take long. I jumped in. I tried it. I just did some wads with this guy down in Newport Beach. My God damn, that was fun. Was, well, you know, if you get a little focused and you would just work your hips right, <clears throat> excuse me, do some very specific lifts, and in uh, in this in this program, you you could probably increase your your biking power and your running power. I'm like, well, shit, okay. At the time, I was really fast and strong and doing quite decent. Our team was winning and doing well in adventure racing. And man, I jumped in, and it wasn't a month. It wasn't a handful of weeks, man, before I was on my bike and noticed massive watt wattage output increase that just happened like that guys that when you're in mountain biking and you're with your crew everybody knows where you're at everybody's got their 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 pros and cons and their and their and their good and bad and on a climb you just know your bros and where you're at and suddenly i was next gear pulling away from my crew that you know was not you're either doping or you're lifting or something, but <laughs> sure enough, I had more wattage in my hips and I'm pushing big gears. And, and then, uh, right about the same time I, I discovered chi running. And, uh, and so I discovered chi running and lo and behold, my running took off to the next level. And suddenly at 43, 42 or 43, I went to the next level on my, uh, on my outdoor sports from crossfitting. And then I became a student of, of lifting and movement and then seeing the competitive side of it. And I kept one foot in one world and one foot in the other through for the you know, next better part of a decade and just enjoy the hell of it. I enjoy the, the pr very precision movements of CrossFit and the benefits of it. And then the benefits of what it was doing for my, for my, for my outside world was great because now I, I, I then I found out and I, I learned and I, I created the method of hardly having to do much endurance training or strength training on my bike or my running. I was getting better at biking and running with doing a third of the training. I didn't need to go out for long runs. I didn't need to do hill repeats. Uh, suddenly my my CrossFit time was my CrossFit efforts were were replacing that and then some. And so it was more time economical as well. I was busy working, flying, traveling. And so I got more economical with my training, my whole fitness. And I also got stronger and faster. It was, it was great, man. I've been, I've been screaming, screaming it from the rooftop ever since. Yeah, I guess that, that kind of answers and leads into 
what my next question was going to be, which was how uh, CrossFit workouts in, are incorporated into long distance training and how that's affected your training. But you kind of answered that and saying that it's kind of chopped it, chopped it down by significant yeah. amounts of time. And I remember when, when I was leading up to the Yukon, you know, I was, I was coming into McKenna CrossFit a couple times, three times a week. And in fact, I think Richie from proven nutrition came by one week and uh, he's like, yeah, all you need to do is come across it a couple, three times a week and then just do your normal canoe training and you'll be fine. And he was right. <laughs> you guys were right. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> um, so all of it has to have the food on point, which we covered in the first part of the interview, of course. So when that food is on point and you throw in CrossFit and, and then, and you have more time and then the time on, for me, the time on the bike and the running, and I think for you guys on, on in the canoe, Working on 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 the on the technique and for me running technique and biking technique and getting being able to afford more time on getting geeked out on the bike, whether it was lightening the bike up and having more time to work on on skills, or certainly in running it was more track time or video work. I'd work on my stride and gait and just just the little minutia, the little tweaking. On Olympic level, I'm just on just the, the highest end that I now had time to do. Just keeps us injury free, uh, so keep the injuries down, and then kept and just made the performance just work better. And so I just wasn't doing that when I was doing high volume. I just thought I was doing things right, and and, and kind of was, but knowing I had I, I and when I finally took time to tweak on the little things, it just rounds it all out nicely yeah. and CrossFit was, was CrossFit, I guess, just turned me really into a, into a, a movement geek. And I've always said now I, I've never raced horses in my life, but I, I think I'm pretty sure I could train a, a horse jockey <laughs> if I had to right now, you know, what's it take to sit on that horse? Where's the midline stability? Where's the, the positioning? Where's the weight? Where's the, the, the main motor control that's happening to, you know, and duplicate that in a, in a, in a, in a, in a gym or in the CrossFit gym and get that athlete stronger, whether it's track athletes or moving a bike or moving a canoe, which I coached a lot of canoe and, and sub athletes. Um, once you become that geek movement geek, it's, it's your info. You're just in, yeah. you can't look at a human being another way. <laughs> no, I was, I was in the, the same boat as you 10 years ago. And as far as CrossFit went, like I, I saw people doing it and didn't really want to be part of the cult. And, uh, I actually, I remember Patrick at the time was kind of into CrossFit and he would come and he'd come up to Massachusetts and stay at my place. And he'd ask me where the nearest CrossFit box was. And, uh, and I just, if I had, uh, drank it, drank the Kool-Aid at that point, I wonder <laughs> where I would have been in terms of training now. But I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Sorry. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I, I need to drink it again. <laughs> so what do you, could you briefly describe chi running that you mentioned? I've heard of it, but I'm not real clear. On... Sure. There's a great guy from the Bay Area called Danny Dreyer. Danny Dreyer put out a book called Chi Running, and it changed my life. His book and his whole strategy and his running camps and, and teachings is, is – um, foundational for every runner it 
his book tells the story of, of his lifestyle and he came from a he came from a pretty classic American I don't mean to insult him right now if he hears this but I think it was a dysfunctional family there was obesity there was there was there was issues um, and he cleaned up his health and then his running anyway that's the story of the book it was, yeah. it was a hell of a hell of a, a, a book about his journey through his life but chief running is about understanding the center of gravity of your body, the chi that we all we all have. And then once you, if you've studied anything Eastern, <clears throat> you understand uh, where chi resides and the importance of, of of knowing how to maintain your chi and and, and hold it and, and how to move it, move it. So taking those principles into running and understand that we're just trying to move our chi through a course, whether it's a track or whether we're moving through mountains, and that our feet and our legs and our upper body are all just assisting that chi to move. It is profound. Wow. I think I butchered that up a little bit, but I tell you what, um, I know Will's been in several dozens of my, I have like this little five minute spiel on, on, on chi running and, and how to break down the strike, the gate and, and where that should land underneath your body and how we pelvic tilt and how we lean and what, and once you get that, I've turned a, Freaking! I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people from hating running or disliking running to at least possibly enjoying it, if not even loving it. Once you stop making terrible mistakes, which we all do, have done. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get run coaching, your chances are you run like crap. Chances are you're a heel striker. Chances are your hips are tight and these things that you just don't know what you're doing wrong. But I invite you to just drive down your, your street. Well, Maybe or maybe not right now, but look at your next 10 runners you come across and, and just st- you'll be able to stare at their feet, look at their hips and their eyes and see yeah. who's coached or not. And it's 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 revolutionary once you understand. Uh, there, are, there are throngs of first-time runners out right now. Everybody's like, well, <laughs> nothing else to do. You see, I passed the guy on the bike path the other day, and he was actually – there was no one in sight for miles, and he was wearing a full-face 3M gas respirator, like – Puffing down the path, I was like, mm. okay. Yeah. No, it, ah. it is it is pretty incredible to uh, come to one of your classes and see people do the warm up, and then I never know when you're when you're going to do a little running clinic, and so I'll see I'll see people be doing the warm up that includes running, and then you do your ten minute less than ten minute spiel, spiel and they're completely new runners they're they're and they perform completely differently in uh that day's that day's workout and so you can actually see the difference over the course of 20 minutes of where someone was and then uh they're a completely new athlete (laughs) it's fun as hell man and it's they're they're such simple cues that that you give and um pretty dramatic i've had a lot of really elite level crossfitters that uh you know, 19 out of 20 CrossFitters hate running, will never run if they didn't have to. And I've had some elite level CrossFitters that are just, they just survive the run. If there's a half mile or a mile run, they'll just survive it. They're fit as hell and they'll, 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 you know, they'll get it done. But, and I'll present this and they just look at me like I just gave them their second born or something, you know, they're like, that changed everything. Why haven't we heard that before? It's like, you know, I owe it to Danny Dreyer, but um, it's one of the most rewarding things. I, like to do as a coach because we every athlete whether you guys as badass canoe athletes or or surfers everybody should be able to put on some damn shoes and bang out a 5k with some dignity i mean that's you know 
not, 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 not a time, not a world-class time, yeah. but with some dignity and some comfort, just as a, as a, as a zombie apocalypse survival skill. Yeah. Outrun the zombies. I'm going to go on eBay as soon as we're done and find the copy. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, as, as we're kind of getting along here, uh, you probably touched on some of these things, but as far as recovery goes, um, you talked about, you, you know, you did your 21 days of CrossFit every single day. Um, in terms of recovering from, uh, you know, your day-to-day workouts or uh, a long distance run or a five-day race, what kind of advice can you give towards better recovery so you can come back stronger after beating the hell out of yourself. This is going to be nothing revolutionary. And some of the viewers that have held on this long here might just roll their eyes, but it is, it is about sleep. It is about quality of sleep. Um, through my, through my thirties. And I think part of my forties, I was paramedic racing full time dad, the whole nine yards. And I used to, it was, I don't know what it was vogue then or not, but I used to pride myself on almost no sleep. Me and my ex-man, we would just had an incredible lifestyle. I'd be up late and bam, we're up at 4 a.m. running hill repeats in the snow in the dark. And I remember doing that and it was just because I could. I don't know. I've got good genetics. I was fit as hell. We just survived it and did it. And, and, uh, and even in adventure races, uh, we used to, it used to be the cool thing that who could go to 50 hours first without sleeping? Who could hold on that long before you took your first nap in the adventure race, right? I mean – Biking, running, canoeing for 50 hours straight. Like you, you guys have done your fair share. It was cool then. And I never forget when it all kind of turned a corner that it became vogue. It became very cool to who could sleep the most in a race. And it was those guys that just suddenly started just, and I remember it was the Kiwi guys. And it was, it was some of these teams that would be, they'd be winning a race 21 hours, 24 hours in a race, which is just getting started in a, in a seven or eight day race. And I remember, Boom, they're plunked down or you heard they're plunked down in some house or some hut or somewhere for a four hour sleep, losing the lead, getting back in the race in 19th place, you know, but knowing damn well, they'd claw themselves back, get the red, oh, another three hour nap. Meanwhile, we're still going and haven't slept, you know, but with, with, but it was all about the big picture and planning for, you know, a seven day event and then being able to be fresh eyed and, 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 and fresh as a daisy and, you know, seven days into race was what just got them just to turn on the gas and kill everybody again. Cause huh. it, 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 you know, it, it was, I remember seeing that. And I remember also in, in the elite world of mountain bike racing and, and, and tour racing. And, and it was also became cool. Once strength training kind of came into the mix of things, it be tried, it became cool. Who, who, who could get away with the least amount of training, the least amount of miles on, on the bike or on the feet these days of running 150 miles a week. Um, you know, other than by the, the obsessed people who just are addicted, other than that, the really level runners would now kind of brag about how little they train, but could still kill and smash a course or, or a race. So that sleep component, uh, man, I've been a student of understanding sleep and, and understanding the cycles and, and sleep aids and all the things that takes to takes to help um, our body get into the deepest, deepest zones of sleep. And if somebody out there is not, if the listeners aren't, if you're not completely cued in on, on, on getting that six to eight hours of sleep a night, knocked out, uninterrupted, you've got to drop everything you're doing to, in order to get that managed. For me, it's been a big thing here. And since this uh, lockdown <laughs> we've been in on, uh, I've been working on that and it's helped immensely. 
But coming to Maui, I guess three years, I, I really went, I went deep, deep into sleep, um, being proud of my sleep. There's my answer. It's, it's sleep management. It's God. When you understand the, the, the hormonal world that we, that we are all about, when you understand what happens with sleep and that it can only happen during REM, it can only happen in deep sleep that, 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 that these glands and these hormones are all doing their work. It's, it's un, undeniable. All the pieces of the puzzle right there. Yeah. Water, electrolytes, fuel, using your chi, getting your sleep. <laughs> that's right. That's some that's, sum everything. That sums right it up, man. That's the one on one. We could have, I got a few other rabbit holes we can we can go down some other time, but that covers it. Yeah. That's that's that, that's that, that's gonna take me a few days to process and absorb. It's pretty awesome. Wow. You got any more questions? I don't. I had a bunch, but they were covered, and that's quite that happy. Was, that was a great little uh, little chat, and you, you've accomplished so many things, and it's it's incredible to have such a wealth of knowledge kind of right here and where Thanks, I can just Will. pick your brain <laughs> whatever I want. I, so. the, the, it goes both ways, Well, What you two guys have done and, and what you're doing for the sport, now what you're doing for the community and giving back with this is Really incredible, guys. I commend you. I wish the heck I had a podcast and I was able to cat, uh, organize my life right now to, to do that. But I, I know really envy what you guys are doing. I know a guy. I know how to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's really easy. It's like just getting sleep. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And knowing so, how busy you are and what you got going on, a sincere thank you for taking your time to do this. Appreciate it. It was my pleasure. I hope to see you in Maui. You're, yeah. Yeah. Eventually I'll get there. VIP, uh, VIP, uh, Matt out for you here at awesome. Jim Maui McKenna CrossFit. Thank you. Catch, catch some waves and, uh, and move the barbell a little bit. Thank yeah, you. And, and for anyone who is coming to Maui, uh, and you're in the world of working out or CrossFit, or you just want to get some exercise, get yourself to McKenna CrossFit, come in for a class and, um, see what this guy has, has to offer in terms of knowledge. And you will, see some differences just even after one class guaranteed um so make it a, make it a, a point while you're on maui i know you're on vacation probably but uh, vacations still, are better with purpose yeah for sure. ma make it a point and get your body moving and uh come see paul I don't it'll guess. be well worth your while so thank you paul hello guys have a great pleasure pleasure to meet you man a great 2020 Thank you. You too. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to keep up with Paul, you can find him on Instagram at peanut.butter.paul or at McKenna CrossFit or at the Jim Maui. If you are on Maui, please be sure to stop in and see the incredible fitness space he has created at McKenna CrossFit and the Jim Maui. You can connect with us and find us at wicked.aloha.podcast for updates and pretty pictures. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to share it with your friends and we'll catch up with you next time. Until then, keep moving forward.